Welcome to Happily Holistic. I'm Amy Lee Mercree, and I'm a medical intuitive with 20 years of experience. I've written 15 books on health and wellness. If you've had a medical intuitive session with me, you know that the thoughts and emotions within you, what has been passed down from your ancestors, and everything that surrounds you can impact your well-being. In this podcast, we touch on my favorite ways for you to improve your health and feel more joy. We dive deeply into everything health and wellness with a big dash of spirituality and a sprinkle of business. We spotlight the uplifting and the positive and share the secret ways top wellness authors and celebrities get inspired, stay healthy, and enjoy this beautiful life. I can't wait to get happily holistic with you today. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Happily Holistic. I'm so excited to have Lindsay Kite with us here today. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, I am so happy to be on today. Yay. So Lindsay and her sister Lexi have an Instagram account that I fangirl over a lot called Beauty Redefined. You, you guys who follow me on Instagram might see I repost them sometimes. And they have a new book coming out in, on December 29th call 2020 called more than a body your body is an instrument not an ornament which I love I'm excited to talk about that with you Lindsay and I want to start by so before we get to the book and all of that amazingness take us back in time to the origin story of beauty redefined and how how did that come about Sure. So I have an identical twin sister, Lexi, who you mentioned, and she and I were both in college. Um, Back in the early 2000s, we were studying media literacy, like the ways media Mm -hmm. really affects women's perceptions of their bodies. And I know you're familiar with that subject as well. And we were especially looking at um, media representation of women and how that had affected all people, but also ourselves personally. And we both just found really quickly that it was something we had been deeply affected by. Just a a ton of body shame, a ton of just feeling embarrassed and abnormal and just kind of an obsession with wanting to lose weight and to change our appearances and all of that as the key to happiness and success and love and all that kind of stuff. So after a few years of that, um, Lexi and I went and got our master's degrees and then our PhDs Mm -hmm. as well. And in that transition between our master's research and our PhD research, we decided that we needed to start putting some of it online because it was just so applicable to people. And whenever we shared it, people were intrigued. So we started just with blog posts back in 2009. We had a blog, Beauty Redefined, and yeah, yeah, started on Instagram a few years later and just kind of built up an audience there through sharing our research and online education and ended up finishing our PhDs, doing a lot of research specifically on body image resilience, like how women can go through hard things in this objectifying world that we live in and overcome and become stronger because of those hard things we go through, not just in spite of us. I love that. Yeah, thanks. I love that. And I, I mean, gosh, I think, I don't think I know any woman who isn't influenced weekly, if not daily by the media and the way we think about our bodies. And I love your subtitle, 
um, about our body being an instrument, not an ornament. That's, it's such a, it's such a quintessential saying that, you know, typically in our kind of heteronormative world, men have been taught that their bodies, of course, are instruments and we're taught that we're ornaments. Exactly. And so I love that you guys are just taking that and bringing it right to the forefront. Yeah, so, thanks. That's really it, been key to so much of our work. Like yeah, that tell me about it. Sure. Um, so we've kind of been using that phrase, that mantra for years, that your body is an instrument, yes. not an ornament. And it's because we found through our research in studying the objectification of women's bodies, which happens mm-hmm. in media. It happens throughout all of the cultures that we're surrounded by. Yes, it where does. Just like you said, we learn as women to see other women's bodies as objects, as things to evaluate and admire. Yes, we do. Men learn to do the same toward women. It doesn't yes. mean we don't also objectify men's bodies, but it's just on sure. a it's a different scale. And so um, we recognized that that was really at the root of so many women's body image issues is it's not just not feeling beautiful. It's this feeling that you're defined by your appearance, that your appearance is the most important thing about you. Right. We started to really try to shift people's understanding of that away from just the whole, no, you're so pretty the way you are. You look great with your flaws and all. What if you didn't, would you suddenly not be worthy? Yeah, exactly. Right. And when you, take the, when you take your agency back and you say that yeah. actually my body is for me, for my experience, my benefit, not yeah. for anyone to look at, it should not be evaluated by how it appears, then that gives you some of that power where you can yeah. be an individual, a person, have an instrumental value as opposed to just an ornamental one. I love that. And when you take that agency back, you might choose to adorn your body for your own pleasure and enjoyment. But it's not because you're basing your worth on the perception that others will define you. And it helps you, it helps you be more critical about how you do choose to adorn your body and why. Because so many of those choices are driven by shame about how we naturally appear or not looking as good as all of the ideals that we're comparing ourselves to just naturally because of this environment we're in. So yeah, it really helps to be able to take inventory of all the choices you make and the reasoning behind it and what would happen if maybe you didn't do those things. Like what if I didn't have to wear the makeup that I've been wearing for the last 10 years or or longer? What if I didn't have to constantly constantly be restricting and, you know, changing my hair color and all that kind of stuff. It helps those boundaries for yourself and see if you can survive, like, will you be okay if you aren't finding your value totally being a beautiful ornament? And how you feel during those moments. Yes. So how, how could we develop that body image resilience? Like what are some sort of hacks for us? Yeah, that's a process. And what I love about Mm -hmm. it is that it is this continuous process. So many people think that like, maybe one day the switch will flip in your mind and you'll have it figured out. You'll feel good and confident and it won't be this burden anymore. Unfortunately, because of this environment that we live in, where we are so valued by appearance and everyone's been judged on that and all the self-comparison, then it requires that we are constantly reminding ourselves and working on this ability to see yourself as more. That's why our book is called Mm -hmm. More Than a Body. And it walks you through this whole process of developing your body image resilience so that instead of like, we're all going to be experiencing feelings of shame and embarrassment and anxiety about our bodies. It's the nature of this world that we live in. But instead of feeling that shame, if someone makes a comment about your appearance or you're comparing yourself to someone else and you fall short, Mm -hmm. some people will turn to 
extreme dieting. You'll go on a cleanse for the weekend because you feel like that's going to give you your power back and help yes. fight flaws. Or mm-hmm. you'll go buy all new clothes or make plans for cosmetic surgery, um, things like that. Instead mm-hmm. of instead of coping in these ways that aren't really helping us, they certainly aren't improving our body image at all. Our right. feelings about ourselves. Right. And some people turn to addictive behaviors prescription yes. drugs, illegal drugs, alcohol, self-harm, all of that stuff happens yeah. as a result of the shame that we experience. Yeah, but when you're able to develop your resilience, you can see those experiences that are difficult and stir up that shame. You can see those as opportunities to take a different path. Instead of that harmful coping, mm-hmm. you can choose to exercise your own skills, your own strategies, your own power to choose a different path toward resilience. And so it's this ongoing choice that you make when you mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable and embarrassed and you're tempted to hide yourself and fix yeah. yourself. Then instead you can choose to see more in this environment that you're surrounded by. Is it maybe something, is it the people you're around that might be stirring up these feelings? Are they Ooh. critical of your body or their bodies or celebrities' bodies? Um, yes. Is it the media that you're engaging with? Is it who you follow online that's making you feel self-conscious and triggering that anxiety? That's the first step really is to take inventory of your whole environment. What could be contributing to your feelings of body anxiety and how might you fix your environment? So it's a little bit more friendly and healthy for your body image. That's a really good place to start for people. I think that's a tremendous place to start to just bring that consciousness into the media we consume and our day-to-day experience, who we're interacting in, the the thoughts that come up as a result of our external environment. I, I think that's a, a fabulous place to start. And talk to me more about this, about the media literacy that you guys are, you know, I, it's interesting because, um, back when I wrote my first book, which Lindsay and I were talking about before we started recording, I used to write a column for a website called We Are The Real Deal. And it was a, um, you know, body image kind of a site. And I wrote about media literacy and I was just learning about it. Um, It's been so long. I think now in the age of social media, gosh, it's a minefield. So talk, talk to us about how can we navigate traditional media, social media? How can we unprogram this message we've been getting since we could consume any media that we're not good enough? So we need to use consumer products to make ourselves better and change ourselves. So t- tell me, what can we do? That's a real so recipe for disaster. You know, they tell us the Huge. problems we have and then they sell us the solutions to those Yes. Problems. So yeah, media literacy is the ability to critically question and deconstruct media messages, whether it's social media or mass media like TV and, you know, radio and movies and all that kind of stuff. It's the ability to be able to look below the surface and see who created this message. Mm. What do they want me to feel? What do they want me to do as a result of of feeling and experiencing this message and and Mm -hmm. the what feelings does it spark in me? It also helps you to really question who's profiting from you feeling this way. Absolutely. You taking in this message because almost always there's an advertiser behind it. Almost always. Almost always. Even in social media, like so many of the most popular posts and the influencers, they're all selling a lot of things. And so of course we know 
when you think hard enough about it, I think almost everyone knows that the messages we receive about women's bodies in particular in mass media. So like um, mainstream commercials and billboards Mm -hmm. and um, TV shows and all that kind of stuff. You probably know on some level that the women look that way for a reason. They are all, they're very thin. They look very young. They don't have any wrinkles and pores and cellulite and they have you know, beautiful, thick, full hair that's been colored and all of that. Uh We know all these things and it's like, well, yeah, because that's what's most appealing, what's most beautiful. But on the other hand, it is there to set up this ideal in our minds about what is normal, what is Mm -hmm. beautiful, what we should be emulating in order to have that success and happiness and love that we all really want in our lives. And so it it creates so many ideals that we are constantly falling short of. And like you said, then going out to buy the products and the services and everything else for the rest of our lives to try to fix these problems that are holding us back want in life. So media literacy is this ability to question. And that's what we've been Mm -hmm. teaching people to do for all of these years, because it is the starting point. So many of our problems are caused by and then reflected by and reinforced by the media that we engage with. And even if you're not directly exposed to the media messages that are selling you really particular ideas about bodies, the people you're surrounded by probably are, you know? And so they're reinforcing those ideas for you and on their own bodies that gets passed down to kids and students and siblings and all. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think there's any way that anyone who watches television in even a small quantity or Netflix or whatever, I don't think there's any way way we aren't influenced by that. Simply by the casting of, you know, whiteness, youngness, thinness. I mean, that also brings in our, the the diversity side of things too. That is what has been put in our faces Mm -hmm. as an idea. And when you, you were speaking, it was getting me thinking too about how the ideal of beauty that, you know, supposedly exists, exists only because of the way it's been shown to us through media, right? Yeah, for sure. Because it's changed so dramatically over time too. Yep. It's really synthesized into this one image that we see today. And it's that curvy, but very thin and small with no cellulite, no pores, no stray hairs, looking young and all of that kind of stuff. And that's this particular ideal that's just today's ideal. It wasn't the ideal 10 years ago. It wasn't 20 years ago. And it won't be in five years. It changes based on what the market can profit from. Yes. And And it wasn't the... Exactly. And it also wasn't the ideal hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey there, it's Amy Lee Mercree. People have been asking what to expect when you book a medical intuitive session with me. Whether you have had a medical intuitive session before or are completely new to the idea, working with a medical intuitive may be right for you if you are looking to uncover the root cause of one or more mild to moderate health concerns. Working with me is not designed to take the place of seeing an integrative doctor or your chosen health practitioner. The way a session begins is you get to share your questions and concerns. After that, I say an opening invocation, which is adapted from something shared with me by my late medicine teacher about 25 years ago. It invites your highest vibrational spirit guides to participate in the session. These may be ancestors, 
angelic guides, or other benevolent non-physical beings. After the invocation, I let you know which guides want to talk with you and what they have to say. We address your questions and concerns and find resolutions and answers. If there are health issues, we find the root causes of the issues. To learn more about my medical intuitive work, check out the Work With Me page on amyleemercree.com. If we look back at, you know, a particular uh, period of an art that I loved was the, you know, these beautiful kind of lush women that were painted in these oh, Victorian era. Yeah. yeah. That was the ideal then because it was thought that you were rich because you could afford enough food. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, there's always an ideal always. and, and it changes for sure. I remember for we are the re- real deal. I, like I said, I was writing that article and I was excited to get the opportunity, you know, and, and really interested in exploring these topics, but I'm, I don't have any, you guys have PhDs. I mean, I don't have a degree in this stuff. So I was kind of like trying to figure it out and how yeah, to, with everyone else. Yeah. I was just, you know, trying to, to write about it, but I, I remember I wrote this article. Um, it was like something to the effect of Barbie in the hospital and GI Joe on steroids because <laughs> these toys, you know, that were being served to young kids project a body ideal that if, if Barbie, if Barbie's proportions existed on a human, she couldn't like walk or stand stand (laughs) and she would be in the hospital, you know, GI Joe Joe would have to be on like mass illegal steroids to look like that. And yet they become so normalized to us, especially when you're getting those messages as really little kids, you can't be critical of it. You just think like, oh, so this is, she's beautiful and he's so handsome and strong and what I want to be like and emulate. Exactly. So it's important to teach little kids to be able to question those things too. Because unfortunately, that wasn't just like an 80s, 90s thing, the Barbie and the G.I. Joe ideal. No. That's replicated over and over again in kids' media still today. Even yes, media that seems pretty progressive and, and maybe is more representative of like racial diversity and different types of characters and gender mm-hmm. identities. And even when it's using animals and like made up different types yes. of characters. The, the women, the girls, by and large, still fit these exact same yes, disproportionate do. ideals. Yes, tiny waist, huge eyes, tiny noses, tiny chins. Yes. Like, we all know exactly what it looks like. It's everywhere. We do. We do. That Jessica Rabbit ideal, you know, yeah. from that old, old movie, Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Same thing. That's still you around. Know, it's still around and it's parodied, but it's still around and still the this ideal that's being perpetuated. Mm-hmm. So I love that you guys are bringing awareness to this and in a tell me like in a perfect world how would this out picture as far as how how would we really bring about a deeper level of societal change what what could we do to make that happen do you think yeah well Lexi and I through Beauty Redefined have always taken this approach where we take a a ground level grassroots approach And we feel like that's the most effective because individuals can make changes. Mm -hmm. We've been so steeped in all of this body image work for the last, you know, 11 years or more than that. And it's, it's incredible to see the darkness of it and the heaviness of 
of the pain that people feel because they're mm-hmm. so defined by their bodies and their beauty. But yeah. we're more optimistic than anyone that people can experience huge individual change. And that individual change is what sparks family and community-wide change, yeah. change within churches and schools and um, employer you know, organizations, yeah. organizations, all of that. So some people do take this top-down approach where they think it's going to come through legislation and um, banning and boycotts and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And it's not to say that you shouldn't sign petitions. Maybe it all will help. Make noise. Yeah, it does. But what we are really passionate about is teaching women and girls first to be able to see themselves as more than a body. Because when you can see yourself and value yourself for so much more than what maybe these outside messages are teaching you, then it can help you to rebel against them. It gives you a little bit of this righteous anger that can push you toward making change and standing up to people who are, you know, objectifying you and, or saying awful things to you or to other people, even online. Mm -hmm. And that is what translates into actual change at the societal level. It's not a matter of like reprimanding the boys and men who are objectifying women. Like it's all part Mm -hmm. of it. But what we really need is for girls and women to know this for themselves so that they won't feel like their only value comes from being objectified or from you know, being accepted and validated by people who actually maybe just want to use them and discard them when they're done. That's right. not where our value and our validation can exactly. really come from in a fulfilling way. And those girls and women may choose to grow up to become parents and raise female or male or you know uh, non-gender non-gender identified children but basically teach these children that the value of a woman isn't in her appearance and that we're all as you guys are saying more than a body I mean what a huge thing I'm excited to buy this book for my cousins who are young and my nieces and just really um share it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. We're so excited about the book because we've been doing this research and, you know, we've been running an online course for like seven or eight years now and, and continuing to interact with people through this work for so long. And so even though we've been putting stuff out online, it's always just in bite-sized pieces. And with this book, it's really comprehensive. It really, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Through all these steps, because it is practical. This, the possibility of developing your body image resilience is really just a practical daily process of making different choices. If you want to change the way you feel about your body and the way you live your life Mm -hmm. and really live as an instrument instead of an ornament, then it just takes some kind of small changes. It might feel a bit earth shattering at first. Like honestly, for some people, when they learn about the ways they've held themselves back because they didn't like how they looked or other Mm -hmm. people didn't like how they looked and all of that stuff yes. be kind of heartbreaking. You know, it really can yeah. kind of shatter your glass about how you've really lived your life and what you believed about yourself. But we Absolutely. want this book to do that. We want this book to maybe break it your heart and help you heal it. Yeah, I think it needs to because that's that's that grassroots systemic change too. Yeah. We want people to be uncomfortable to with the status quo, you know? Yes. It's not serving us. Most women oh, feel terribly about their bodies. And we don't need that. All, we almost that. all women feel terribly about their bodies. And even, even if they don't feel terribly, they probably think about their appearance all the time. I think we all do. Yeah. I mean, I'm very versed in this vernacular and I still do it. Oh yeah, exactly. And so do I. I know, I know better. I yeah. still do it every day, probably. Yeah. I mean, I well, think it's so that, ingrained in us because of 
deeply. We grew up and it's part of so many of our core beliefs about ourselves that our beauty is so important. And so it is this, this constant process of rooting out those, those false feelings, those lies that we've been led to believe. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that this is something that even though it never completely goes away, like I will never be, I'm never going to think that I'm like the most beautiful woman in the world. And I get my confidence because of my beauty. I never will. And I don't want that. I don't want anyone to have to find their value that way, but I do feel very strongly that we can find our value over time in new ways as we leave behind that validation we've been seeking through our bodies and our beauty. And that's when you can really feel that change. Like I, so I'm single and I live in New York city. I've been dating pretty actively, especially in the last, I don't know, couple, a year and a half or whatever. And yeah. And that is kind of an interesting thing because yeah. as someone who's done a ton of body image work and, you know, hates the whole idea of objectification, yes. the dating part is kind of hard because you are being evaluated. You are. And the physical attraction thing is the first thing on the list yeah. when you're meeting someone, it's got to be yeah. there. And so it has been this process of knowing that I can be content with myself. I can leave the house and know that like, all right, take it or leave it. I feel fine. So hopefully he, you know, finds me attractive or there's chemistry or whatever, but it, I've been able to put that to the test and know that my value to someone else, my sexual appeal will not make or break me. Absolutely. And that I think is what women really need to know is that your sexual appeal whether you have it or not, whether you believe you have it or not, it doesn't have right. to make or break you. It's not who you are. It's not everything. There's yeah. so much more and there's so much more happiness and fulfillment to be found on your own and in relationships that are based on so much more than just that sexual appeal. I think that that's true. And I think when, a, I think I'm really fortunate to be experiencing, um, you know, a monogamous relationship where the, the foundation is a really deep, unconditional love. And while still working through and deconstructing these different beliefs, to also have the opportunity to explore the experience of what what feels good and what is pleasurable to highlight about one's appearance in that kind of an environment too, you know, behind kind of like behind closed doors and to so play with those edges. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting part of the conversation is sexuality because for so many of us, our sexuality has been taught to us and communicated to us as this visual thing. It's something that experiences through us, not something that we experience for ourselves. Right. And so it's important to get back inside your own body rather than imagining how you look from the outside. That's That's a big part of our Yeah. It's called self-objectification. It's a huge part of our PhD research. And it's this idea that you are kind of looking at yourself from an outside perspective. You're evaluating the way your body looks as you move throughout your day, even when you're alone, it happens to so many of us. Yes, we do it. It's big in a relationship because so many women have, you know, we see our sexuality as something to be perceived, not something that we live in. And and consumed too. Perceived and consumed. consumed. Totally. Yeah. And once you recognize the ways that has actually held you back in a relationship and like, you know what, sex isn't enjoyable when you're so worried about how your stomach and your thighs look, you can't possibly find enjoyment in that when it's just a a self-conscious, you know, uh, this objectifying experience. And it's something that I think a lot of people need to work through with their partners and be vulnerable I think so too. And the, the progression of that in my experience has been then to come through that and be able to 
be present in the experience, but also enjoy the, you know, the choice to be an object of desire for someone who you love unconditionally. And how that can be, there's a way where that can be really pleasurable and positive to feel that, you know, Oh yeah, to door. feel tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's an important part of a relationship too. I think it is, but I think I think for me to get to that point, I had to come th- through to a place of a deeper yes. presence in self and a deeper at least awareness of, you know, myself as as you guys have said, is more than a body. Yeah. It's and a different, then, more holistic relationship with your body so that you can yeah. be present and actually enjoy a situation without having yes. to be outside of your body looking in and monitoring yes. to make sure that you're, you look okay. Yeah. That's not satisfying. There's so many amazing books now too. I read some great books that helped me with that. Come As You Are was a really yeah, good book mm-hmm. about that, that kind of helped you define how to be present within yourself as a body in a loving way and and come through that and and enjoy that there were some other good ones too I'm trying to remember now but um yeah I feel like that's a really incredible one that's an amazing book that's an amazing book that was just so eye-opening for me I wish we could talk longer. We've, reached, we've exceeded our time capacity because there's so much to talk about. I, I'd love to have you back on the show again because it's so wonderful. And you're, you know, perhaps your sister at some point too. It, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's been so great to talk. So I want to ask you our, our little wrap-up question that I ask everybody, which is kind of perfect for what we're talking about in this particular case. If you could send a message back in time and tell your 17-year-old self one thing, what would it be? I love that question. It is so perfect for this fun, huh? image subject. Yeah. It's perfect for this. this it is. Yeah. Because it's in those teenage years, I think, when this is the hardest for a lot of people. Yeah, that body is. stuff is just such a, a big burden. It was for me. It, it was for me too. 17 yeah. years old, right there. Yep. Right before yeah. I went to college. I remember just yeah. feeling so overwhelmed with these feelings that I needed to lose weight. I needed to look a certain way in order to be successful when I left the house. And so what I would tell my 17 year old self is that I would say, I'll speak in my words to her. I would say, you have this idea in your head that you need to look a certain way in order to be worthy of love and in order to be healthy and successful and even just normal. But I want you to know that that is not true. And this idea that you have of how your body needs to look is actually just a myth and a lie. You've been manipulated into thinking that. Mm-hmm. And when you, if you are bigger than what you think you are going to be, if you are, if you look older or different, if your skin isn't perfect and your mm-hmm. hair isn't perfect, I want you to know that it doesn't matter because you will still be happier and more fulfilled and more successful and more loved and have more enjoyable fulfillment fulfilling experiences in your life because you will learn in some really hard ways that your body doesn't define you. And so when you're older, you might be bigger than you thought you were going to be. And guess what? It's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you because you will learn in the hardest possible ways at times that it doesn't define you and that you are so much more than just a body. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. I love it. Love it. Thanks. I just want to, we just want to like repeat your book title as much as possible to get into people's heads. Yeah, it's our mantra. (laughs) It is like the key thing right there. 
Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you. It was so great to talk to you, Amy. Yeah. Remind our listeners where to find you and where they can get the book. Sure. Our website is morethanabody.org. That's the name of our book okay. as well, More Than a Body by Lindsay and Lexi Kite. And on Instagram, we are at beauty underscore redefined. Perfect. Yay. Thank you so much. And thank you all so much for listening. We wish you a beautiful day. Thanks for listening to Happily Holistic with me, Amy Lee Mercree. You can find out more about the show on amyleemercree.com on the podcast page. Please stop by your favorite social platform and leave me a comment. I'd love to hear how you liked today's show and what topics you'd like me to cover in the future. Come find me on Instagram and Facebook at amyleemercree.com. If you would like to see what a medical intuitive session with me is all about, hop on over to the work with me page on amyleemercree.com. Until next time, stay happily holistic.